Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. It's a really weird feeling to come away from Old Trafford with a 3-1 win and be disappointed with the result, but it was hard not to feel that way after the gulf that was on show between City and United on Tuesday night. Either way, we're going to have a lot of fun discussing it on this week's Blue Moon podcast. And as a quick aside, the uh, the, the engineer who's recording tonight's show is a United fan, so if we suddenly get cut off at any point, then you know exactly what's happened to us. So uh, also on this week's show, we'll be looking at some iconic City goal celebrations of previous years, and Howard Hocking is back with us as well. We'll also be previewing Sunday's match with Aston Villa. Don't forget to get in touch at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can email through the website bluemoonpodcast.com and we'll come to your questions at the end of each week's show. I'm your host David Mooney and with me in the studio this week I'm joined by two journalistic heavyweights of the city scene, Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello, were you talking about heavyweight there? Talking... I'll let you decide your own uh, <laughs> your own definition of that and the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Oh, yeah, I've got a big hoodie on so you can't see how heavy the weight is. <laughs> They're just big boned journalistic uh, heavyweights aren't they? That's what it is. It was, it was, a, it was a compliment boys, it was a compliment. Right. I think that probably go. that probably says quite a lot about our state of mind. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> um, well, while we're on the, the positivity, um, I said it was a di- uh, that it was disappointing to leave Old Trafford with a three-one win. Uh, John, is that fair? Yeah, I think it's completely fair. I think it was disappointing to be only three-nil at half-time. Um, I think once United got a goal back, they pushed a little bit. The the, the fans got made a bit of noise, got behind them a bit. So so from maybe. That from that moment on, maybe three uh, one was okay, but you know they could have killed it. They could have killed the, the entire tire inside inside forty five minutes. And they chose not to kill it second half, didn't they? Wait, in, in, what, in what way? They chose to kill the tie or to kill the game, but not kill the tie. I thought they could have hit them on the oh, break. Oh, quite a, lot. a bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, substitutions were really late. Um, There's only one, I think, wasn't there? Maybe two. Two, I think. Um, Foden only got like six minutes, I think. I thought I, I probably would have brought him on after an hour and given him more legs from midfield. Um, but they were like, in a weird way, I thought the way the second half panned out was equally as embarrassing for United as the first half. While obviously the first half they were abject and, um, well, just torn to shreds by the kind of tactical nous of Guardiola. I thought the second half, City were just playing walking football. They weren't interested in going and scoring more goals and still really. the only the only goal that United scored was because City gave it away yeah I do, City just kind of stopped playing um, and they went right thanks very much but, and they, I don't think they ever fell under a great threat of United ever getting back into the game which is yeah. damning really why were they so much better was 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 it that City were good United were poor or was it a mixture of both I think it was Pep genuinely think it was the it was the um, it was the plan going into it uh, that he devised I think first half they played I know this is quite relatively common with City, but first half they play kind of four or five different formations. Uh, United couldn't pick them up anywhere. They were outnumbered like, across the park. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of quadrant they were in. United seemed to have one fewer player um, attacking the ball or on the scene. And City were just kind of they were too they, they were too energetic for them, and uh, they were too quick uh, in the mind for them as well. And United just had no no answer. John, the movement was incredible at times. Yeah, um, I mean, Bernardo's not had his season that he had last season, but I thought he was absolutely phenomenal uh, to Old Trafford. You know, he's back to the the absolute brilliant best, matching quality. His you know his skill with his work rate. Uh, I, you know, I maybe I slightly disagree with Jack that I thought they lost a little bit of energy in the second half, and that he, he gave so much in the first half. I mean, there was one moment when he was he was back at, at right back or in in front of the 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 back four, 
you know, picking off a stopping a United counterattack. Next thing he's 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 the furthest fo- forward. He's playing on right wing. He's coming out coming on the left. He's absolutely everywhere. Um, but it's just a it was just a a, a formation that it's it it's kind of beyond. Most people. I was going to say, I found it quite funny. Yeah. I, I wasn't at the game, and I just seeing the streams of different people from that press box going, "I think it's this. I think it's this," yes. and just being a, everyone was a different like a solution. I mean, one, one of the things that people do early in the game is sort of write down, you know, make a note of what the formation is, and you just can't do that. You can't do that with Pep because it's it might you know it, they kicked off and Rodri was in a in a. Lined up in the back three, so I thought, right, okay, that's so he's so he's playing his back three, (laughs) and he he never stepped in back in there for another ten minutes. But and then you're looking and thinking, right, so Sterling's right, Sterling's on the left. What's going on? Next thing, he's on the right. I mean, he spent most of the time on the left, but they they were just everywhere. Um, That that philosophy and and the work rate is it was just just too much for United. I was um, I was doing the player ratings on Tuesday night. Uh, which is always quite a difficult task for a night game because of print deadlines, deadlines and whatever. And stuff, yeah. But I got a uh, got an email from um, my editors about five minutes before kickoff. Going, we'd love the uh, we'd love the teams in like now if you could, so we can like set the page up with the formation and whatever. <laughs> I said, you, you're going to have to give me ten minutes here. <laughs> I was sat next to I was sat next to um, Stuart Matheson, who was the Man United correspondent at MEM for twenty years. And I said to him before, I said, oh, I fancy City will play a back three tonight. I think I think Rodri might play in a back three. Anyway, as John said, he like kind of lined up in a, in a three. Stu's looked at me and gone, hey, bang on there. <laughs> then he's not one step 20 back seconds in later, they were playing 4 4 2. It's not a brilliant. <laughs> the, funny thing, the funny thing about the whole thing is, I, I remember when I used to do player ratings for ESPN, they used to say to me, can, can, we, can you put their position in there? And if they've played number 10, just pop in number 10. And I was like, well, what if they're playing three number 10s and they're all moving round and then you've got, then like one's right wing, but then <clears> when they've not got the ball, he drifts in. So, like, how do I know? this and they went just have a guess yeah just have I, a guess i think i think formations um particularly in the kind of putting them as or when, when you're doing play ratings or match ports or whatever i think formations are fairly redundant these days particularly with city, with city. Yeah. particularly with city i mean well you know what what I, you could almost say like <clears throat> it was four six zero but you could equally say Four, three, five, three, yeah, and the, like the five men storming the box at all Well, times, watching yeah. it, watching it first off, I thought it was, I thought it was four, and then one with Rodri, and then it. I tweeted this: that it's four, one, and then five doing whatever they want, basically. <laughs> I, I saw that, yeah. Um, and I think I, I think there's a grain of truth in that, maybe, in that it's just, but it's 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 just a little bit more complex than go and do yeah, what you yeah, want. Yeah, there, yeah. there is but a plan. I, there. I think that's kind of. You've got to have trust in your players to know where they have to be. Yeah. If so, Gundogan's got to know where. If Sterling, I don't know, drifts in or whatever, yeah, Gundogan's if, got to know where he's got to be to fill some sort of space. And because they've been playing with each other like this for three years, they know exactly what each other's going to do. Yeah. Um, just back on the game, John. Does the second half goal for United give them a chance in the second? Yeah, leg? it does because they've got a bit of a record at the Etihad um, since Pep's taken over. And, uh, um, but you, you think they might have to come up with a, a different plan because the one that worked a month ago, the counter-attacking game, was was the plan again on Tuesday and it got completely shut down. Um, they, they just you know, Fernandinho was just too clever for them. Um, the, the, the full-backs were well-organised. You know, Mendy were always a little bit worried about what he's going to do. He didn't have a problem all night. Um and and like Jack says, the, the 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 goal came from a mistake, so they're going to have to change something. Um, you know, Pep's Pep's the greatest coach in the world, isn't he? And he's intelligent enough to to work out things that none of us can. Uh, can Solskjaer do that? That's a big that's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah, um, quality of the goals that City scored, Jack. Um, Bernardo's was a great finish. Mares, that touch to take out De Gea, I, like I think you would expect him to do that, though. You would, and but still, he's left De Gea looking quite foolish. And then the the final goal was the, the 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 final goal. I thought was was just I I honestly I've never laughed as hard in well, something in my life. The disappointing the disappointing thing about the third goal is that I haven't seen any stills of Phil Jones. I've not it, seen any it, pictures it, of Phil Jones. That's because what it, face is he pulling? It's because the photographer was sort of framing De Bruyne and 
Phil Jones is no longer in the <laughs> he's brain. Not even in the script. He's gone. <laughs> he's, he's sat in the stand. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. That deserve that goal deserved to go in off a Man United knee, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But I mean, the, I mean, the Bernardo goal is sensational. I think it's the best goal I've seen live this season. Um, there were a few, there were a few yelps um, in the press box when that went that went in. Um, not from not from Johnny. I wasn't <laughs> wasn't that close enough to Johnny to know. Um, jo- Johnny was standing up with giving it, giving yeah, it all that, weren't you? Yeah, 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 I am not yeah. a yelper. <laughs> he, was, he was politely told to sit back down, actually. Um, but people people around Pep, when I was talking to him about Bernardo last year, um, they were saying that, and obviously this was in the height of his great form and this year has been very different, but they were saying that if he, adds, if he can add goals to his game and score 15-20 a season, like you've seen with some others, other notable examples like Sterling if if Silva can do that with everything that he's got he will become one of the top five players in the world they genuinely believe that um, obviously he's gone off the boil this year and there'll be a number of reasons for that but you begin it I think kind of over the last few weeks you're beginning to see him refined or recapture that mm. sort of form could, from last year Could the performance at Old Trafford be the catalyst he needs? Um, there's, there's been a couple of false dawns already actually I thought Earlier in the season, he looked like he, immediately after he came back from the ban. I thought he looked uh, at the game at Arsenal. I think he played well in that game. Did he? Or was that the game he missed? I can't remember. It was a game where I thought, right, it's, it's done and he's dusted. Back on it, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I've seen not quite. He's been in and out of the t- side again soon since. Um, but I just thought, yeah, it was just one of the outstanding individual performances of this season that, well, he, that he gave. While we're on uh, goals, Jack, um, it was it was weirdly muted against Port Vale. Is that just the VAR effect now? Is that what happens? Yeah, it was. It was even uh, the Port Vale one was even more muted than other games I've been to this year. Where the Harwood Bellis one, he seemed convinced that he was offside, so didn't celebrate. The funny thing is, is that if there's no VAR and the linesman just flags for that, everyone goes, "Yeah, he was probably offside." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then without wanting to go into VAR too much, the the seven or eight offside goals that were um, chalked off over over Christmas, I think all of those are allowed through. Yeah, without and nobody really. And no complained. one would have. No one would have really moaned. But yeah, it was it was strange. I mean, Howard Bellis kind of didn't celebrate. Everyone's kind of trot, trotted back to the halfway line, and then it's given and on the on the screen, and then Bellis is like. Punching the ground in delight, but it's well, it's that's like, like ninety gone. seconds after. It's not. Um, I don't know. It's just not. Aguero looked like he'd rather have missed. You know what? So I can't even remember the Aguero one. It's in the end of the first half um, on the far side. It, I honestly, I'd, I'd, I was convinced he'd put it wide or it hadn't gone in, and then all of a sudden, it was it was being checked, and the referee had given offside, and then oh no, it wasn't offside. It was a goal. Yeah, it's, it takes. The whole for me, the whole thing takes the enjoyment out of going to football, and even in our position where most of the time we have replays, replays, and, and we've got monitors next to us, even then you still kind of, oh, what are they checking there? What what's going on? So I can only can only imagine what it's like for a for a supporter um, up in the third tier of the ground, <laughs> like looking down and go. And the, on the other thing is that the the nowhere's really sorted the screens out either. Even the sc- the screens aren't quick enough. They don't give you that instant. Oh, this is what's being checked. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah I think it was was it the was it the, it was a goal disallowed, wasn't there? No, sorry, the first one was counted, but it was a VAR check. Yeah, and I, I, I like most people in the stadium thought, right, that's, that's a goal. There's nothing in that. And then I, obviously we've got the monitors, and they like on TV they freeze it at that second, and it was like Foden. And like, right, I can see from that that. It's close to being offside, and I have got no idea which way. He looks level, so it's going to come down to millimeters. Yeah, on and, his, and this is just yeah. like it's just, one we it's just kind of, potluck, isn't it? That one we were arguing, well, not arguing, but people were discussing like, oh, what is it? Is it armpit? Is it? No one really kind of knows what the rules are, and maybe everybody should be completely au fait with the right rules. But it's just nobody. The, nobody. The VAR the, maybe, the point, maybe the point is nobody can care that much. Do you know what I mean? No, I know. The, the VAR element's bad enough and then the rules are just a joke, aren't they? 
It's just it's just that you get this sort of frozen screen, this frozen image where you can see two people a level, and you're like, right, well, which just throw a coin in the air because it's there's no way of knowing which way this is going to go. Speaking of no way of knowing which way this is uh, going to go, Raheem Sterling's finishing on Tuesday night was a bit uh, hit and miss. Yeah, I thought he was going to mention Bravo then. It could have been anything, <laughs> couldn't it? Um, yeah, there was a bit Bravo's of, coming uh, a later on. Don't worry about that one. A, co- a couple of miscues. Yeah, it was not not like him. I guess he's allowed an off night after um, you know what two, two sensational seasons. I think we're, we're always. But uh, the back of our mind, we're always got this idea in our heads that he's not great at finishing, um, and perhaps that's a little bit unfair. We should just think, actually, Aguero occasionally blasts one over the bar. Well, so, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, Aguero did fluff a couple against Port Vale, didn't he? Um, so, yeah, that would have made it much more comfortable evening. But when I put the call out for ask the panel questions this week, Jack, we had a few come in about Raheem Sterling's form, suggesting that he might not be mm. in the, the the best form of his career right now. Um, but then I had a look at his goals record, and he's he's scored still fairly consistently in the last few weeks. Yeah, it helps it's... when you take three penalties. <laughs> I mean, that is true, <laughs> but that's an expectancy thing, isn't it? You now expect him to score every game because that's what he was doing last season and certainly at the start of this I mean his record at the start of this season is absolutely astonishing so much so that in September October there was we were looking at how many goals he'd scored in the calendar year and he was ahead of Messi and I wonder whether I mean I don't know this but I wonder whether he's kind of got an eye on those personal targets that he's got Um. And which I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's unfair, but it does seem to me that he, he wants to hit a certain number, um, and maybe that's on his mind. Certainly, with the taking of the penalty up at Wolves, that did spring to mind when all that was all that was happening. Um, but he's just just a blip, and he his finishing has come on loads, hasn't it? And the last the last two years because of. Arteta, and because of the work that he puts in, that no one sees uh, after after training when he go when he goes home and he does a lot of work. Um, he still he'll still finish with well over twenty for the season, won't he? Yeah. There's no, I mean, there's no long term concerns in that in that regard. No, I'd like to see him play through the middle a bit more, though. I think maybe long term that's probably where he ends up because um, his link up plays his link up plays better than you would. Um, Imagine, and he's got that attribute of hanging on the last man. He's quick. He's quite in. He, tactically, he's quite intelligent now. I think. Uh, so, and I've been surprised that they've not played him through the middle a more than a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, on to Claudio Bravo now, Jack, um, because uh, two goals conceded this week. Um, could he have done any better with either of them? I think Edison saves both of them. It would be my immediate. Hmm. Really. So definitely, yeah. Tom Pope's the, header was not in the corner of no, the goal. He definitely would have saved the Pope one. It's just it's not very imposing. I think when you're bearing down on a goal and you see him rushing out, you think oh, there's a big there's a big gap down the side of him, and Rashford just put it there. So he just it's not a great quality to have for a goalkeeper. No, he's the only goalkeeper I've ever seen who seems to make himself smaller. He does. He <laughs> shrinks, doesn't he? I mean, I'd go back to the Everton one. He's he's. He's almost like closed his eyes and curled up into a ball for that fourth one against Everton. A couple, of, it was like I don't know. That you had when Rashford was through. Don't think you had any confidence in Bravo stopping it, stopping it, and that comes from imposing yourself on the situation. It was a decent finish from Rashford. Yeah, though. it was really like, good. Yeah, it was a good finish. But I think Edison gets out quicker and as gives himself more of an opportunity to smother it. I don't think Bra- someone uh, clipped it up on Twitter. Yesterday, um, the one image of when the ball was played through to Rashford, and the second when Rashford took his shot, and Bravo's basically not moved. Yeah, he's he's like steady on his six yard line or whatever it was, and he's just rooted to it. I'm going to labour this point because I am convinced this is the problem with Claudio Bravo. It's, it's always been his footwork. He the the Tom Pope header especially. He dives from a standing start, mm. and if he takes a step before he dives, he gets so much further across the goal. And I just think the the number of shots he's, that you think he he looks like 
he's made a decent effort to save it, but actually you think, well, if you just use your feet a bit more, you might have got down to it, mm. or you might have got across to it a bit more. Um, With so the Rashford I'm, thing as well, you've just got to be alert. To, you've got to you've see got to get that's out, happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got to see that's happening. Yeah. Um, speaking of Tom Pope, the, can we dispel the Tom Pope versus John Stones thing? Because John Stones was not involved in the conceding of that goal whatsoever, and yet it seems social media went rife at the fact that Pope had scored. Yeah, I mean, he still managed to score against the team that John Stones was played in. Uh, but come on. I, I mean, what could I, Stones have done differently? No, it, it, I don't it's know not, where Stones not, was actually when the, he was at the he was in the near post. Yeah, was it? Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, he was no John Stones wasn't involved, but it's it was just quite a nice Narrative. line, wasn't it? That he said he'd scored forty goals against John Stones and he went and scored. Bloody. Narratives. But after the after the game, we spoke to Tom Pope and he was he 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 spoke very highly of John Stones, even though he'd been blanked by him. He said he was he said he's absolute class. He said um, he's so good on the ball. He said you can't get you can't get near him. Um, he said he had one chance and took it, but he, you know, he wasn't. He was just saying it was all just a bit of fun. That was that was also. It was a nice story. It was, you know, it's, it's FA Cup in it, third round. These are these are the things that are interesting, aren't they? Narratives and all that. Yeah. Um, speaking of stones, uh, it's quite a crucial time for him at City, really, because it 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 feels like the spotlight's on him, and he feels like he's first off he can't seem to get a run. Form and injuries not going his way, and then second off, the, the question seems to keep coming back around: Has he improved since he signed? Um, he did improve immediately, didn't he, when he came in, and had a like, had a really good season, the first title-winning year. People, people forget. People that. do forget. Um, he stagnated definitely, and there's a, there's a number of reasons for that. Injuries probably being the the biggest one, um, and serious personal problems as well which have not helped him um, and it, I mean the per, the personal problems were the reason why he wasn't playing at the back end of last year uh, and someone was telling me recently uh, probably about six weeks ago that they they'd actually seen him come out the other side a little bit and he was carrying himself with a uh, a bit more kind of pride I guess bit more around it. yeah yeah a bit more pride around the around the training ground and they thought he was going to come out and and really prove himself, uh, and then he got injured. Yeah. So it's kind of the two things coming Collide. together, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just final point on the first part of the show. Uh, Taylor Harwood Bellis. Um, how did he do on his home debut? Good. Good. Obviously, he was beaten by Pope for the header. Um, but you know, City have been conceding one goal at home every week for a couple of months. Um, so that wasn't surprising. Uh, yeah, it, um, again, spoke, Pope spoke highly of him as well. Said he gave him a, you know, he said he tried to rough him up a bit and Howard Bellis didn't take a back step. Um, you know, he's he, he's coming into a brilliant side, so it's not it's not easy. Um, last couple of games, goals have come from via where he should be defending. So he needs to step that up. But generally, but I, think he was, yeah, yeah. I think he was good. He had a bit of rough and tumble at Scunthorpe, didn't he, for the kids the other night as well? Um, where it sounded like... Uh, I suppose, I've not seen the highlights or anything like that, but Simon Bukowski at the MEM was at the game and he said that he'd had a couple of scuffles with their with Scunthorpe's main striker. And that sort of, I guess that sort of thing won't, won't do him any harm. Yeah. How did he do in the uh, away end at Old Trafford? Yeah, it was good. Um, him and Tommy looked like they were having a great time, didn't they? <laughs> they did. Zinchenko, as well. Uh, did Richard Burns get a picture with every single? He got. A, he got a picture with Zinchenko. I don't know about the other two. He got a picture of Harwood Bellis. It looks. He, he says it, it looks it, like he's going into. It the looks toilet. like he's going into the gents, but he mm. says it's not. Has anyone had a word with Richard about this? Uh, not yet. Although I'm sure, you know, we've got time to have a mm. quiet word. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. 
Now, I don't know if you've seen, but Alexander Zinchenko has received some criticism online for the way he celebrated the deflected opening goal against League Two Port Vale. Apparently, the fun police say he's not allowed to enjoy himself because, one, it was deflected, and two, it was against League Two Port Vale. Anyway, never let it be said that we can't make a tenuous link out of anything here on the Blue Moon Podcast because I've been using that opportunity to look back at some other iconic city celebrations. while Manchester City fans were synonymous with a celebration that they borrowed from one of their European opponents. It started after watching Lech Poznan supporters bounce around the away end at the Etihad in 2010. Less than six months later, the whole city end at Wembley was doing just that before an FA Cup semi-final with United. The United fans were so negative and, and so on, and we were supportive, and we did the Poznan when their team was announced, and that sort of, I know it sounds stupid now, but that shocked Wembley. It really did. The image was iconic as thousands of City fans turned their backs to the pitch, linked arms around the shoulders and jumped in sync. Manchester football historian Gary James thinks it set the tone for the afternoon as City went on to win 1-0. Back then, our fans were still at this desperate point. We wanted success, but we did whatever we could. That day, the fans gave us the advantage from the start. The following year, the Poznan made its way into the FIFA series of video games whenever City scored at the Etihad. When it comes to individual player celebrations, though, there have been some iconic ones. Perhaps one of the most memorable was by striker Emmanuel Adebayor. Having just moved to City from Arsenal, the away end at Eastland had been singing some pretty nasty songs about his mother when the two sides met. So when he scored to make it 3-1, he sprinted the length of the pitch to celebrate in front of the opposition fans. All my feelings is like, yes, you keep insulting me, you keep abusing me for I don't know how many years, but now I show you that I can score goals again. When I was running, emotionally took over and all in my head is, yes, today I'm free. Adebayor would later serve a suspension for an incident with Robin Van Persie in that game. A few years earlier, Stephen Island was given a slap on the wrist but escaped a ban when he provided an iconic celebration for a volley against Sunderland. He dropped his shorts to reveal Superman underwear. He spoke about his reputation not long after. I'm just playing the way I am, being the way I am and... I think I think a lot of fans aren't taking me a bit more now. That's something I've been looking at for a while, kind of trying to get the fans on my side. The fans have been great now so far, so hopefully they can continue that way. One player whose goals and one celebration in particular did help get the fans back on side was Carlos Tevez. Having spent months on strike playing golf in Argentina, he returned late in the title run-in of 2012 to help Roberto Mancini's team over the line. His hat-trick at Norwich was capped off by his celebration, a golf swing. Here's journalists Jack Gorn and Jonathan Smith remembering the incident. Well, it was amazing, it was just like a complete, almost the two fingers up to the board, which is quite quite funny really, isn't it? At Norwich away in a kind of game, who cares? I wasn't <laughs> so keen on it because I, in the context of that season, cities were pretty much falling apart and they, there he was out in Argentina. To come back and then to celebrate, like, I, yeah, I've just been playing golf for the last six weeks, by the way. Geniuses don't play by the rules, do they? They were some of Tevez's first goals after his return, but he would have been used to celebrating getting on the score sheet frequently. But when Neda Manua found the Nets for the first ever time in a 2-1 win over Tottenham in 2008, he admitted the emotion of the occasion just took over. The cross came in, inch perfect, just powered the header out and then did a little embarrassing celebration towards my family. Yeah. That's just, this seems the way first goal should be. I say you were blowing kisses if I remember. That's, that's exactly right, you have a very good memory. I was blowing kisses all over the place. Even, to be honest, I thought I was doing it towards my family, but they were probably in a different side of the stand. Let's take the time now to return to an iconic match and the opening goal with a unique celebration. Mario Balotelli slipped the ball home for 1-0 in City's 6-1 win over United at Old Trafford in October 2011, and he then lifted his shirt to reveal the phrase, why always me? Jonathan Smith enjoyed it. I think it was the week after the uh, fireworks incident, wasn't it, when he, his bathroom had caught fire after let, letting off fireworks with his mates, and City had decided to promote him as a, as a sort of... Yeah. Safety. It was Operation Af- Treacle, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a culmination at that point, wasn't it? Because there'd been so many stories about him. And this was just the latest, and his can can City cope 
with what Balotelli's doing. At the end of that game, Edin Dzeko added number six, and City fan Richard Burns enjoyed how the striker couldn't keep up with the score. I've never been at a game where, at one point, the goal celebration was just people laughing, and then obviously there's the sort of lore of Dzeko losing count when he came over to put his fingers up to show how many goals City were leading by, and he put up five until Colorado had to whisper in his ear that we'd actually scored six. He'd lost count. But when it comes to celebrations of goals against United, winger Sean Wright Phillips possibly has to take the crown. He made it 4-1 in the first ever derby at the City of Manchester Stadium, and then he performed a robot dance. I was with my husband at a family event, and there were some people doing some strange dances in there, and one of the few family members was doing that dance. So I said to him, if I, if I, when I score my next goal, I said to him, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he said, yeah, right, whatever. So I thought, at first I wasn't actually going to do it, but I thought I promised him, so I just... Some of the best celebrations at City, though, came from a player who was pretty much otherwise forgettable. Bernardo Corradi scored only three times for the club and almost had more red cards than goals in his entire City career. Away at Portsmouth, he produced a Street Fighter-style Hadouken after making it one all. But after each of his two strikes in a 3-1 home win over Fulham earlier in the season, he used the corner flag to give Joey Barton a knighthood. He later explained what was going on. The first two goals for Manchester City and then since I arrived here in August I've been working so hard and, and this is the, a good result for a forward starting to go to score a goal. Two good goals, two even better celebrations. <laughs> what was happening there? You look like the Queen. Yeah, <laughs> well we try to do something something special you know, for supporters to, to enjoy ourselves and Maybe next time we, we try to arrange something different. If there was ever one player who it was a real shame he didn't score more often, then it had to be Karadi. Who knows what his mind would have crafted if he'd managed a 15-goal season. Whoever the opposition or however the ball crosses the line, you can't beat a good goal celebration. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Stop me now, I'm having such a good time, I'm having a ball. Hi, this is David Bernstein, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. A look there at some of City's iconic celebrations of the past. Now it's time to look ahead to this weekend's match and to help us, I'm delighted to say that we've been joined by David Michael from the Aston Villa podcast, My Old Man Said. David, welcome to the show. Good evening, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thank you. You uh, you doing well? Yeah, not too bad, uh, especially after last night's result that keeps us on course to uh, meet you boys in the final. Well, I was going to say we might be meeting each other a little bit later on down the line as well. How's how's this season been going for you? Well, I mean, it's the, the cliché transitional season. Uh, we we got promoted uh, essentially a, a season ahead of schedule. Uh, Dean Smith came in, we were going nowhere February, uh, early March, and then Grealish came back from injury. We won 10 games on the trot, suddenly found ourselves in the playoffs and we got promoted. And we had to uh, have a massive overhaul of uh, our squad because we lost about 11, 12 players were at the end of their contracts. So uh, with that being said, it was always going to be a case of uh, gelling people in and it wasn't going to, you know, you can drop 130 million, but it's not going to happen overnight if it's spread across like 10 players. But uh, the start of the season, we, we... you know, we had a lot of quality there and we were we were playing, uh, you know, we were holding our own against the likes of uh, Spurs, Arsenal, but we were just making stupid mistakes. And uh, I mean, there's, I was looking at the league, there's a league table uh, after 80 minutes. If, if all games ended at 80 minutes, we would be seventh in the league, which just goes to show uh, where it's falling apart. It's just a lack of concentration last 10 minutes and we've given up a lot of points that way. And also a failure to take advantage against 10 men, uh, which we've only done once in four games. Well, I was going to say, you've had, uh, I mean, last night obviously was, was your League Cup uh, semi-final first leg. You did, I thought you did pretty well at Leicester there. And you did, uh, you did very well against Burnley as well. Some, some, a, a little bit of form maybe coming into, into play. Uh, well, no, we've had a massive injury crisis. Uh, I mean, if you consider our five best players, we've lost three of them uh, long term. Two of them to the, you know, they're out for the season. Uh, Tom Heaton, the keeper, uh, Wesley, centre forward. John McGinn's out until uh, late March, uh, early April. So that just leaves us with M- uh, Mings at the back, uh, and you know, you saw last night that he, you know, he held off Leicester uh, pretty well, and then obviously Grealish. 
But the 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 switch in form, well, the last. I mean, if you can call the last two games form, has been a tactical switch by uh, going to three four three. Uh, you know, three centre backs, and we've actually got uh, three reasonable ball playing centre backs, uh, right foot, left footed. So there's a good balance there. Ming's in the middle, so he just attacks the ball. Well, the other two uh, hold the shape, and they can, you know, all three of them can come up into midfield and and carry the ball as well. So that's been the main uh, the main difference. And the the big problem was we were finally getting uh, Grealish and Trezeguet on the right closer to Wesley because Wesley's been a bit isolated and uh, kind of been in a bit of limbo uh, in terms of how he plays in the team. And that kind of panned panned out nicely this this new system uh, against Burnley, and then Sod's Laurie gets injured and he's out for the rest of the season. So against Leicester, we had to copy your style and and play with a fluid three up front instead of any recognised striker. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of uh, of injury crises, uh, John, it it feels like Cities is is kind of going away a little bit. There's only really Laporte now. That's uh, Laporte and, and Sane to to come back in. They're both kind of they're starting to make their their steps towards that. Yeah, um, which is obviously coming at the at the right time with when well, you think the Premier League's probably gone. So it's talking about the Champions League. It could be perfect timing to have two you know outstanding players coming back fresh and at the right time um, but obviously they won't be involved this week against Villa yeah, yeah um, but I did want to ask David what he thought of Douglas Louise, how he's uh, how he's fitted in at uh, Aston Villa obviously Pep had some hopes for him that he might succeed at City how's he done? He's, uh, we're going to have to move him up the pitch because he's a bit too casual uh, on the ball and the game kind of bypassed him a little bit yesterday and he, he was being too far you know he was being too uh let's say fancy and also too casual in his own half around the edge of the box and uh i mean he cost us uh the goal actually i think i mean he, he was given a bit of a hospital ball in fairness uh but you know he's, he's got to he's got to get to that ball quicker when he, and he just kind of uh got robbed and obviously let lester in when you know there's no way there should have been, uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't be conceding a goal from that position. It undermined, uh, you know, all the effort we'd put in. But he's, you know, he's he's got a great shot on him around the edge of the box. If he's if you give him like a second, it's in the top hand corner. I mean, uh, it's now tradition if he gets the ball, you know, outside the box, the whole the whole tens, you know, scream shoot every time. But it's he's kind of principally uh, been bought to be a uh, deep sitting midfielder and that's where the problems uh, have caused uh, have been caused and he's you know he's cost us a few goals by being complacent but I mean a lot of Villa fans aren't happy about this uh, Danny Drinkwater loan uh, and he's come in to cover McGinn's absence but I don't think it's a like for like uh, swap McGinn's had to play a bit deeper to facilitate uh, Grealish uh, having a bit more of a free reign going forward so that kind of role will suit Danny Drinkwater a bit more. And I think uh, it will allow us to, because I think Nakamba and Louise were the weak links yesterday. And I think they'll probably drop Nakamba, play uh, Danny Drinkwater in the middle as more of a traditional centre mid and allow Louise to get up the field a little bit more. And uh, if he's going to do some fancy you know, stuff, then at least uh, it won't cost us so badly, uh, You know, in the, obviously in the opposition's half. Now, Jack, um, we've seen uh, from the way that City have been setting up recently that uh, that Guardiola's liked to back three from time to time. He's, he obviously didn't do that at Old Trafford. Um, <laughs> is he likely, for, for the league game now, is he likely to go back to Fernandinho and Garcia? Has Garcia moved his way into that team? Um, no, I'd be surprised if Garcia plays, to be honest. Um, although he's done he's done excellently. Uh, I, they quite like the back three, so I wonder whether they might persevere with the three um, particularly away from home and it's uh, the back three is something that he's wanted to do for for a while a good yeah a good number of years mm. I mean we went to Brighton didn't we on the first game uh, a couple of seasons ago when they played a they played a back three and he was really keen on kind of progressing that but the problem was no, there hasn't been a left back that can do it no so they've they've been hamstrung a little bit with that um, Garcia I think just Foot on the ball with Garcia a little bit, even though he's he's performed he's always quite, done well. Yeah, yeah, he's only eighteen, uh, or is he nineteen? I think it might have been his birthday today. Um, Probably should check that before you yeah, get in. But yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> um, and he's he's really really good on the ball. Um, 
tactically aware, positionally very good, um, but you would expect that he'd go back to um, Otamendi or or Stones, which is what kind of what he's done all all season with the with the bad results. He's he's relied on those that have been with him for three three and a half years. Yeah, um, John. Looking at, ahead to this game, with only, after only a few minutes at, at Old Trafford, is Foden in contention? Do you think to start? Um, they certainly put a lot of effort into that performance, so possibly. Um, but you know, we've not seen an awful lot of Foden this season, particularly in the Premier League. Um, he started that one game away from home at Arsenal. It was uh, brilliant, but was taken off after fifty-five <laughs> minutes. Um, so I would wouldn't expect it. No. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of there's cup games coming up in January, isn't there? Too. I mean, you yeah, you would think certainly Fulham will play in that game, possibly United second leg. So maybe not. Maybe not. Got yeah. to the point with Foden though, in that fine if he plays against Fulham and United, then great. But I think he'd look he'd have looked at those sort of games last year and been grateful to play in them. I think if he plays in those games this year ahead of playing in a Premier League game I think he gets the ump yeah I don't think he's happy doing that um, he's consistently performed really well I don't think he's done anything wrong um, when he's when he's played um, gives the as we were saying before kind of gives the team more energy has created more has created more chances than anyone else in the games that he's played in, in recent weeks uh, and I think Pep knows that um, but isn't being given this consistent opportunity, uh, and there are you know there are reasons for that, and protecting Rodri is one of them with Gundogan playing and etc etc. But there does come a point where Foden's going to turn around and go right. Well, I need to be playing three times a week now. Yeah. I'm ready. What, uh, and what, it's not what do I have to do? Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And which be you know which it's it's easier for him to make that point when he plays well, and he has, has been playing well. David, uh, we, you mentioned Jack Grealish before. He gets all the headlines. Um, how, just how much does he make Villa tick this season? I mean, the last couple of seasons he's had uh, an injury that's uh, kept him out two or three months each time. And when he's come back, it's it's completely tra- uh, transformed the outlook of the whole team. But I still had reservations, not not in his ability, but in what he's actually done to deserve you know the hype that he's had. I mean, he's had hype before he's even kicked a ball, you know, the big debate about whether he should be playing for Ireland or England. And I couldn't quite understand why the national papers would preoccupy themselves with that, you know, when he's at that stage a non-entity, he was a teenager. But uh, he's really stepped up another level and now he's actually uh, living up to the hype. And I think that goal at Old Trafford, you know, in front of the eyes of the world, pretty much rubber stamped him. Uh, and yes, you know, yesterday against Leicester, he's, uh, I mean, he's the most fouled player in the Premier League. And to ease the pressure off uh, what we were under yesterday, I mean, he worked a treat. I mean, the amount of fouls he, he got and broke up the play and obviously uh, gave us a respite. That He's essential in that area as well. But also, you know, he gives us the inspiration and he's the only really legitimate, out of that fluid front three that we played uh, against Leicester and we will uh, more than likely play against you guys he's the only one that really carries a, a, a threat in terms of it, you know his finishing the other two uh, are kind of lacking a bit Al Ghazi and Trezeguet in their finishing and, and mainly their you know conviction and confidence so uh, it's all about Grealish if we lost him now considering we've lost McGinn Already, uh, I think we would, uh, and Wesley, uh, we'd probably get relegated. So that's one uh, injury that we don't want uh, to the end of the season. But I think you'll get an England call. I don't think he's deserved it up to now in terms of the other options that Southgate's had. But I think Southgate wanted to see a Grealish actually perform over a you know, run of games and uh, the break until the next international uh, uh, break. Actually, uh, he seems to have been performing pretty well. So... Uh, that's his. That's you know one of his obviously his main ambitions personally as well. But I think you'll get there. And uh, at the moment, fundamental to Villa's chances in uh, in the cup and also uh, for survival at the moment. Do you think? Um, well, how much how much of a loss is is McGinn? Because I've seen Villa play live four or five times this year, and he he's always been the standout performer over over Grealish as well. Yeah. Well, the last, I mean, funny enough, the last uh, three or four games, because he was uh, was playing a little bit deeper, 
he wasn't let's say grabbing the headlines so a few you know the sectors of uh, villa fans were saying he needed a rest uh it's probably because he's knackered from carrying Scotland on his shoulders as well in, uh, <laughs> in the international games. And it, you start to think, is it one of those things where can you accommodate Grealish and McGinn in the same team in terms of, you know, pushing them both forwards? Because I don't think we've got that uh, DM or, uh, you know, let's say a traditional uh, centre mid to uh, compensate for that. For example, Conor Horahan's a bit light when it comes to... Uh, the defensive part of his game and Douglas Louise and Nakamba aren't really there yet. And you've got to remember Douglas Louise and Nakamba are still, you know, early twenties. So they're still development players uh, to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, McGinn, McGinn, McGinn is a massive loss. That's when we, when that injury happened and then suddenly uh, the way we got swept aside by Watford and Southampton and uh, Dean Smith was still being quite, uh, Stubborn playing as four three three because he you know he's from the school of Pep. I mean he he'll, he'll always mention uh, Pep and you can see it in his formations and uh, but he, he kept going because he the problem is we've we we were playing like let's say the possession based uh, Pep inspired uh, philosophy in the Championship but in the Premier League if you look at our possession stats uh, I think uh, in about 20 games we've only had like we've only had more possession than the opposition in about five of those games so this whole concept of attacking control possession is something that's completely eluded us so this switch that i mentioned the last two games now actually sees the players that we've got and their you know what they can actually do it actually suits them better while they were kind of playing out of their uh, let's say skill level in, in what he was trying to ask them to do. I mean, Manchester City can play that way because they have like 80 million, you know, fullbacks. We don't. Now, uh, Jack, John, as David was mentioned there, right, Jack Grealish is the uh, is the most fouled player in the league. Uh, City have been under criticism, maybe fairly, maybe not fairly, for the uh, tactical for what? fouls. For what? Who's going to be the one to ask Guardiola <laughs> about this? That's what I want to know. Um, he was asked about... He was about I, I can't remember who it was... That asked him about tactical fouls last week. Um, uh, disco, wasn't it? Doesn't, was it? doesn't like it, does he? Um, yeah, he got asked about tactical fouls before the United game and uh, was fairly unequivocal that it's nothing to do with him, <laughs> despite the <laughs> despite the evidence on on and off the pitch that maybe well, it was, it's the sort we, of thing that gets discussed. It, it was brought up that it was mentioned in the All or Nothing, Nothing documentary but it was actually Arteta who said it, and he said, go and ask Arteta about it. Yeah, I can't, I, I mean, it, it happens, doesn't it? We're not, we're not here to knock it. Um, I don't, I, but this is weird, I don't have a problem with it. No, no, I don't, I don't like know. Anyone, I, everyone yeah. could do it, and they do. It's just, it's just taken on in mind of its own, this tactical foul thing with City. Um, and they have the ball most of the time anyway. It's funny. It's just I just I just wanted to wind you up. That was all. Um, anyway, the winning streak has continued on last week's show as Katie Mullet correctly predicted a four-one win over Port Vale. That means we're now up to six hundred and sixty-five pounds for the season so far. Uh, William Hill is giving each of our panel a ten-pound correct score single, and the winnings are going to the Christie Cancer Hospital in Manchester. Uh, David, what's your uh, score prediction for this week's game? Uh, I'm going to go three-nil City, mainly from the fact that we haven't got any strikers and we're pretty knackered from uh, the game against Leicester in midweek. Well, 3-0 to uh, City is 13-2, to two, so £65 if you're right. John, what are you having? I've gone 1-0 to City. 1-0 City is 11-1, to one, so 110 if you're right. And uh, Jack? 3-1. Uh, what was that scornful look for? And 1-0. <laughs> it's Man City. <laughs> Jack doesn't fancy it. It's more likely to be 6-5. 17-2 if you're right, Jack. Uh, £85 if you're right. Uh, you got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, check out begamblerware.org. David, thank you very much for joining us on today's show. Not a problem, a pleasure. Time now to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about how City have outgrown United. I'll get straight to the point. Fact is, I was struggling to think of anything of note to talk about this week. Anything of interest had already been covered by me elsewhere, or by others with much more skill. But then of course there was another Manchester derby that happened, and I could hardly avoid mentioning that. After all, how many Manchester derbies have you come away from after winning comfortably and felt frustrated? 
Frustrated because you're pretty sure your team has just missed a wonderful opportunity. An opportunity to humiliate and grind their once upon a time rivals into the dirt. Which of course would have been the right thing to do, as there can never be any room for sentiment or pity in any derby match anywhere in the world. The season of goodwill may have been and gone, but I still think it will be a good time, after witnessing what we all did on Tuesday night, to offer our once noisy neighbours some advice for the future. There is little left to say about City after all. What the past month has reminded us in relatively troubled times is that this squad is still a class above, as is our manager, and will always come back strongly whatever obstacles it may face. This might be Liverpool's time more than anyone else's, but football is cyclical, and this is a City team that will be ready and waiting when opportunities arrive. Don't forget that the team that handed out a footballing lesson this week was devoid of its only decent keeper, its best defender, its two star strikers, its possibly greatest ever player, its world-class left-sided wide player and its best young talent in the generation. And it mattered not one jot, they were too good anyway. So what of United? Well, to be honest, their path to future glory is long but simple. All they have to do is this... Sack their League 2 standard manager, hire Pochettino, hire a director of football, upgrade the stadium and training facilities, get the Glazers to sell up and bring in an owner who would not leech money out of the club, impose a distinct philosophy and playing style across all age groups, have a clear vision for the future, but buy appropriately and cannily with that vision in mind, and if they target the right players and everything else goes to plan, then maybe, just maybe, in five years' time, they may be in a position to challenge once more for major honours, maybe, if all goes right. See, I told you it was simple. You see, that's how far behind they are. You'd have to have a heart of stone not to weep for this once great institution. And it seems I have, as it's hilarious. But that's part of the problem. The assumption by so many associated with the club that the name itself would get the club out of a hole. That the pull of the club, the name, would attract the best. The finest players in the world, crawling over broken glass for the chance to don the famous red shirt to play in the Europa League. The mercenaries go to City, remember, whilst United's players create history. Well, they're certainly creating a history of sorts, but not very palatable one for their disgruntled fan base, who are now reduced to counting empty seats and mumbling about oil. But even then, the goalposts keep having to be moved. The club that never sacked managers keeps sacking managers. The club laughing at a City side that can't sell out their own matches. Not that I would pay £65 to watch the dross over at Old Trafford week in, week out either. You see, they only play so much youth because of the repeated failings of big money signings. Do you really think Williams would be a regular if Luke Shaw could walk past the McDonald's without drooling? No, it has slowly dawned on the ex-reds in the media and the fans that the name stands for little nowadays. Other clubs have run better, have better managers, better players, and can simply offer more, and have money too. A name is not enough. Even the Meccano Stadium seems stuck in the past, devoid of improvements for some time now. And then there's Phil Jones, a live Picasso painting for the modern age. Jones has turned down a testimonial as he does not think he has earned it, and he is right, but one day perhaps he will be preserved in formaldehyde by Damien Hurst for posterity. I feel sorry for Jones, a seemingly decent man in over his head. He didn't deserve the memes and the ridicule, when he could easily be a successful player at a less prominent side. But no one sums up the state of Manchester United Football Club more than him and a decision in recent times to reward his ineptitude with a new contract. And so back to Tuesday night. After taking in the liquid football and appreciating the return of the old Bernardo Silva with magic in his left foot, all that was left was to revel in the Martin Tyler soundtrack, a man commentating as if each city goal caused him to have a flashback to the time he walked in on his wife frolicking with the milkman in full city kit while singing Blue Moon. If he doesn't really have a bias against City, I can only assume United cost him a 15-time accumulator. I get it. I hate Carlisle United for similar reasons, and Grimsby Town, Crew, Coventry City, Oxford United, and, well, you get the idea. It seems foolish to pick out one game as being deeply symbolic, though. After all, there is a second leg to come. United won at the Etihad just a month ago, and things can change quickly in football. But I'm happy to do so despite all of that. I think the game was deeply symbolic symbolic of where these two teams are right now and where they are heading. In a league awash with money, United can't buy their way out of this one anymore. They can't bully and cherry-pick rivals' best players. Their power is quite simply diminished, and it may take a decade or more to return. Once the children that fill the city's playgrounds and beyond are happier to wear a blue shirt over a red one, then an even bigger seismic change may be coming. And that moment in time came years ago, and soon those children will be adults and buying their own match tickets if VAR hasn't driven them away. 
because that's the real bind for United. A blip in form or a blip in their dominance could always be absorbed by the monster that is Manchester United Football Club. Hey, they could absorb a billion going into the Glazers' pockets, but eventually their incompetence will catch up with them, especially when they share a city, kind of, with a team that have a global vision and have put such incompetence largely to bed. Now, failure to qualify for the Champions League will cost them sponsors and thus income. Repeated failures cost them the next generation of fans, and suddenly the reported 75,000 waiting list sounds like pie in the sky, a more fabricated number to appeal to stakeholders and sponsors, much like the fabricated 2 billion global fans. Once they lose the endless stream of fans, that big stadium will count for little, and then they're no better than any other team in any respect. And finally, what really rams it home for me is watching someone like Kevin De Bruyne strut his stuff week in, week out. Because what United Slump has deprived them of is new legends to worship. The sort of player that is worth the admission fee alone, the sort that City have churned out regularly over the past decade. Who is your favourite City player? I've no immediate answer, not because of the scarcity of choice, but because I'm torn between so many players. Meanwhile, across town, let's never forget that United's player of the season for 2018-19 was Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw. So drink it in. These are great times, even if it's felt like a struggle recently. This city, I'm glad to say it's ours. Hi, this is Gary Cook, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get in touch for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. Uh, email us through bluemoonpodcast.com and search for us on Instagram as well, Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, Adam's been in touch on the emails to ask, what are the Real Madrid ticket prices all about? On the day that City have announced another commercial partnership worth a reported £2 million a year on the back of continual price rises and when City fans have got more games than ever before. Four. Yeah, it's. I'm a Blackpool fan, and if Blackpool were getting to the Champions League every every single year, I'm not sure I'd be massively happy about having to shell out almost fifty quid for a for a ticket. Forty seven pounds fifty is my ticket price for the Real Madrid home leg, which, when you consider, also is the second leg of the tie. So they could get. I mean, what happens if they go to? What if I buy it now and they go into the into the first leg, have a player sent off, and lose five nil? And I'm paying nearly fifty quid to watch a dead rubber. Yeah, well, I think well, the, it, I think the supporters' apathy towards the competition will mean that a lot of people buy those tickets late. Yeah, exactly that, and that's not going to help the situation either. And on top of that, as well, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to get to some evening games because of because of work. So I might quite easily look at this and think, actually, let's watch it on telly. Mm. I've got I pay for BT Sports, I pay for Sky Sports. I'm you know, if, if City beat United, I'll be playing to go to Wembley. There's there's all these ticket price pressures, and it just feels like such such a misjudged set of prices for this for this one particular game. And I, and I get the prestige. It's Real Madrid. It's you know, you know they, they won the competition. What was it three times in a row? In you know over the last few years, it's a big game. But I just feel that it's been completely misread. It's surprising that they've not learned a lesson from a few years ago against PSG when that wasn't. That would look like it could be a really empty stadium, but the way it panned out, the first leg finished 2-2, and there was a lot of interest and sold out on the day of the game. But there was a lot of unhappiness about ticket prices for that one. The club said they would look at it and think again about how they would do this, and obviously a few years on now, fans are not happy about this. Well, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm. It's a toss of a coin at the minute whether I go or not. I've not, I've not made my mind up whether I'm willing to pay that money in in the climate that we live in, where where City are playing more games, like like Adam says in the question, they're playing more games than they than they've played. You know, and also, when season ticket prices have gone up every year for, for another season. nine of ten years, is it? It's it's just it feels like you know I, I'm I'm almost reaching my tipping point with this, and that's not something I ever thought I would say. That's that's just where I've got to. There's also an element of they've got to read the room with the Champions League a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. It's important. It's important for the team. There's a sellout, and I mean the Etihad can be a nasty place, can't it? When everyone's up, it can be a, a really, really good 
strong atmosphere. It can be bouncing. There's yeah. been games where, I mean, think of that Liverpool game at the, at the uh, over the Christmas period last season, where it was effectively the title was on the line. Mm. They had to win. Think all the way back when they when they first opened it, and they they had to win that game against Hamburg. The atmosphere was was great on that game. The European games where City have a great atmosphere. It's no coincidence that the ticket prices are lower. Oh, look well, at the, yeah, look at the price, ticket prices for that game against Hamburg, and that was five and ten quid. Probably the best atmosphere I've ever known at that stadium. But the, it kind of, so, you know, we're talking at fifty quid tickets for this game. This is the same competition that they give a hundred, two hundred, three hundred ticket uh, free tickets away to a specific school in Stockport. One of my one of my mates is a is a teacher at uh, Stockport Grammar, and says that. In the past, they've had hundreds of tickets go go their way for Champions League games. I mean, like, I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me, really. Um, it's kind of, they, they can give away loads of free tickets for a, a group stage game because they're, they're worried that it's going to be half empty. And then they want to... Fleece is the wrong word, isn't it? But they overprice tickets for, for a last 16 match what worries me about this sort of game is it's very easy for the fans to go to, to, to react to it and go well the team need our support they've never won this competition they need us to be there and be loud so I'm going and all of a sudden when when there's when there's no kind of massive pressure for the for the club to reduce the prices then the club can quite easily see it as a win because people have paid the prices and they've paid the ticket prices so they're, they're quite happy to, to pay that and you get into this position then where you you it's almost like passive support of the of the pricing policy you can you can have a moan and a grumble about it but then you still pay it anyway and, and and go along and do your bit and i always my my reaction to that has always been if city if the team really did need that support then it's blind to be pricing that high because you wouldn't want to put people's noses out of joint in the first <clears throat> instance it's very, it's very difficult for us to talk about it because we don't pay, yeah. And it's it's a cumulative effect of a. But you know, I do, I do yeah, pay, so so I'm not very happy. Well, about it's, it. it's seven months into the season, and it's a lot of money on top of what's been paid before. But it just seems to get the impression from City that they will, they seem to decide the pricing structure on how how far they can push it. What's the absolute limit of what we can charge where we will fill the stadium? It's it's. It, that seems to be the. It's almost like it's done by an algorithm. That okay, well, well, we've got Fulham in the fourth round of the FA Cup, so we can bring this. This is here's this, where here's what the formula this, dictates. Yes, yeah. this is the price that these tickets will be, and Champions League we, we can we can take it a lot further. It could act as a complete contradiction if, for argument's sake, if they were to go out and it was a damp night, and there's you know, and the ground's not full. And Guardiola comes out after the after the match and says, "I needed my fans," which he's done on countless occasions. He did it. He made a point of referencing it three times at Old Trafford the other night ahead of the second leg. That's the sort of th- he would expect a full house. But he's on that hymn sheet, and the club are on and the, the club are yeah. on a completely different one. And there will be no join up joined up thinking there. I don't think. If they wanted to win, if they want to win the Champions League. Which obviously everybody at every club wants to win the Champions League. Surely they should be devising a plan whereby they get fifty-five thousand people into that ground. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll come back to it when we've got a couple of fans on the panel as well. Get uh, get a bit more of a fan reaction to it because it's uh, the, the game's obviously a few weeks away. But for now, we'll move on. Uh, Barry Rogers has been in touch on the emails to ask why aren't City doing everything they can to sign Fernandinho up for another season? He's clearly still good enough to be a big part of City's team despite his age. Without him, who knows where we'd be this season? Uh, well, they are trying everything, and they will definitely sign him up for another year. Um, I saw the story in the week that he he's almost triggered an automatic extension. Um, yeah, he's um, so his contract is he's got to play or got to appear in sixty percent of City's games um, to automatically trigger an, a one year extension. He's currently on sixty nine point whatever percent. He's played twenty three out of thirty three. Uh, so if he continues on that trajectory, he'll he'll trigger it. Um, but the agent is in Manchester next month. Uh, and they're going to try and sort of contract out regardless. Um, Would you be surprised if it didn't happen now? Exceptionally, yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty much there, to be honest. Right. Um, John Graham's been in touch on Twitter to ask, how much of a claim does Guardiola have on being the Premier League's greatest ever manager? If not, then who stands above him, John? 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're going to make me say it, are you? So do it. Um, I'm going to say Pep's the greatest, and and leave it at that. I knew you'd say that um, because on on a kind of related question, um, Ian's been in touch on Twitter to ask how likely do you think that Guardiola could extend his contract? Uh, if he doesn't, then what do you think he's been done to plan for what comes after? I'm not going to make you say Ferguson, don't worry, Jack. <laughs> uh, well, I'm neutral, so I could. Do. Um, if gut feeling would be that he uh, is not going to extend beyond the five years uh, but will definitely definitely be there next year uh, despite persistent rumours from kind of September onwards I suppose that he that people thought he was going to he was going to leave um, I think there might have been a feeling from some of the players that they were wondering whether he would stick around or not um, but there's a lot of kind of agent talk and people whispering and wondering whether he's going to go about it I don't think he will um, uh, Re a successor I know for a fact that Allegri fancies it but thinks he's going to get the United job that would put him in a difficult position <laughs> yeah um, yeah he really really fancies it and his um what he wants when he eventually moves to England which is he keen on the Premier League what he wants is a defined structure uh, in a club which makes me think when someone told me that the other day it made me thought I, thought, I was thinking well United that's the difficult job, yeah, yeah but he is he's holding out for the United job that's why he's not taken one so far and I, th- I think if City did want Allegri I don't think the dates would really match up because I think Allegri wants something for next season Um there's a few kind of, you know, talking to people last year, it was the feeling was that Arteta probably would have a decent shout. Um, now, now that kind of depends on how he does at Arsenal. Uh, e- yes and if no. If he does badly at Arsenal, then City would I understandably not this, look at it. If he, you, if he does good, if he does well, then Arsenal are not going to want to let him go. No, because yeah, that, this is the thing. At this point, you'd be exceptionally surprised if he were to go yeah, to City because he's gone to Arsenal. There's yeah. no situation where you can see him coming back and. Replacing, you know, only a massive fallout. You know, he had a huge success and had a massive fallout with the Arsenal board. That's the only way he's coming back as Guardiola's successor. There's, sorry, all I was going to say was that I've, the problem with planning Pep's successor is that he, there is a potential. You know, it is still a possibility that he could stay for another year, and I think City would bite your hand off. Yeah, that. yeah, and so they're not going to. Well, that's a possibility. Then, then, then. then it's always been he leaves on his own terms, yeah. hasn't he? It, really? He decides when he goes. Yeah. yeah. There's a few interesting possibilities. Pochettino was a surprising name that has been thrown about. Um, I wouldn't have thought that Poch City would be the sort of with the kind of people that run the club that are very Barcelona heavy, um, or obviously got strong links to Barcelona. I would, I would be surprised if Pochettino um, would that would be the sort of person they go for. But uh, very reputable people are suggesting that that they would but again that's you'd think that Pochettino would want to be in, in work sooner, sooner rather than, than later than the end of next season yeah, yeah. so that would be difficult um, and then there's a few interesting a few interesting names floating about Nagelsmann at Leipzig is is one being watched by a lot of people um, and then it also kind of I suppose it does depend on who he gets as his new number two next summer do they get a young open coach that maybe they think they can mould or maybe that's um, maybe a year wouldn't be long enough I don't know it's, it'd be interesting I mean Roger, people talking about Rodgers as well Yeah, I mean Solskjaer might be available soon as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right well that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast thank you very much for tuning in if you've enjoyed the show then please go and tell all your friends to download and subscribe and please also head over to iTunes or your usual podcast provider to give it a rating and review if you'd like to support the show then you can do by signing up to be a Patreon backer there are bonus shows and blogs to be had this week's is all about Micah Richards there's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast special thanks to my two guests this week Gold.com's Jonathan Smith thank you and the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn thanks very much and we'll see you next week take care was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast